Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. You know what I notice about the the instrument that always sticks out in the mix in the Mission Impossible theme song? The drum line snare. It's literally a marching band song. Today we're t- wait wait what are we talking today? Exactly. Which one? Mission Impossible Fallout. Why are we discussing Mission Impossible Fallout. The direct prequel to Mission Impossible Dial of Destiny? No. <laughs> Dead Reckoning Part 1. Wouldn't it be cool, though, if Dial of Destiny had a Part 1? Oh. Maybe it will. That would be sweet. Meaning that it would have a Part 2? Yep. And potentially beyond? Nope. This is the last Harrison Ford Indiana Jones. Yep. But Mission Impossible, you know that Mission Impossible is regarded higher now than James Bond films? Like, hey, what's the best James Bond film? Mission Impossible. No. Obviously, Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise is looking for his franchise. And he's been doing it now, hold on to your butts, for over 25 years. Like 26 years. 1996, Mission Impossible 1. Wow. And it was Tom Cruise initiated the mission, uh, reviving the Mission Impossible franchise as a as a movie franchise, right? Correct. My understanding, he had his overall deal at Paramount for many years and then was probing the Paramount library and was like, what are we doing with Mission Impossible? And they were like, it's yours. And boy, is it his. I don't know any series that has been increasingly profitable other than like maybe Fast and the Furious. Fast and the Furious, of which there are now 10. Yeah, and Tom Cruise is the Vin Diesel of Mission Impossible. It's all about family for Tom Cruise, right? <laughs> well, not really. So when you said Fallout, I, I swear you said Rogue Nation at one point. And <laughs> because cho- they sound so similar. Right, but we're choosing these because they were written and directed by the star of this month's the, writer-director, the producer, Christopher McQuarrie. Christopher, Christopher McQuarrie, McQuarrie month. month. Yay. And he wrote and directed both of them. Actually, Rogue Nation is a good companion, obviously, to Fallout because it, it has some continuation that I haven't revisited it in a while. I'm happy that I watched both Rogue Nation and Fallout ahead of Dead Reckoning because... They're not standalones. I think they kind of were standalones, but Mission Impossible has become this generational affair, if you can believe that. And there are characters and things that tie in from the last movies, the kind of new regime in Mission Impossible. And so I was glad I watched both. And we're talking about Fallout because it directly ties to Dead Reckoning coming later this month. So Mission Impossible Fallout is the sixth 
installment of the Mission Impossible franchise. And the second of three sequential stories. Well, I mean, they're all connected, obviously. This one, uh, Fallout, has throwbacks from as far back as three. But uh, And then this Fallout is the one where I think they brought on the Jeremy Renner character in four. And he had a three-picture contract. But Fallout, he's not in. Does that mean that he will be in Dead Reckoning? He's not on the cast list. He walked away at the end of the last one, Rogue Nation, as though he was going to be in this one, in Fallout, I mean. And he's not. It's weird. They just kind of did away with that character. I think at the time, Tom Cruise was lining him up for a Shia LaBeouf-style replacement for his character when he when he gets too old. But then Tom Cruise discovered that he never gets too old, that he's just going to do it forever. Did, was Shia LaBeouf supposed to replace Indiana Jones? Is that what you were referring to? That's how it was looking. He was the golden mm. boy. But as we all know, Shia LaBeouf did his thing where he kind of goes off the rails. And look, even Tom Cruise went off the rails. And Fallout was a massive hit. Uh, you know, at least it took in a, a considerable worldwide box office, even though it was extremely expensive to film. And this is the last Mission Impossible movie that we got and filmed pretty much right before he went to film Top Gun Maverick, even though this film seems like an eternity ago. Isn't there a Vanessa Kirby Shia LaBeouf connection? Yeah, they were in uh, Pieces of a Woman together. That's right. The full dong Pieces of a Woman. Yep. <laughs> Jeez. I think there was full vag too, albeit in a compromised state. But also there was, so Vanessa Kirby was also introduced in Rogue Nation, as was the Ilsa Faust character. So these are these recurring characters that were established in Rogue Nation and are carrying through at least to Dead Reckoning 1. Okay, because Vanessa Kirby makes a pretty cool villain. I mean, I don't really buy her as an arms dealer, but I guess she was... That was just she was just fronting because she was with the CIA. Yeah, but hold on to your butts, Vanessa Kirby, the White Witch, White, <laughs> the White Widow, is uh, <laughs> is actually the daughter of the Max character from the original Mission Impossible 1996 movie. Wait, like in real life? No, that character Max was her mother, and Max was an arms dealer. Oh, like she has character backstory. Yep. I see. So again, hearkening back to one, but that's, you know, it's just like, a, oh, it's her daughter. That's why I was saying it's a generational, it's become a generational affair. The, the other noteworthy thing is like James Bond, who was, you know, one-off missions here and there. And then they finally established the, as uh, Benji calls it, the anti-IMF in the syndicate in Mission Impossible. James Bond also has Spectre. So this is them adhering pretty closely to a James Bond, at least semi-formula, but it's still its own thing. And he's a different person because, hey, he's American. But uh, Mission Impossible really owes a lot to James Bond and has probably now eclipsed it in popularity. I can see that. I bet we could spend a whole episode on the parallels between James Bond and Mission Impossible. Two oh, quick sure. clarification questions. So what does IMF stand for? Impossible Missions Force, which is a little bit clunky. And totally fictional, right? Yeah. I mean, can't if you're going to have like a fictional organization, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to make it sound a little cooler? IMF sounds vaguely governmental and stuff. It, it does. OK, I'll, I'll grant you that. I mean, I just I always wondered what IMF stood for. And then I was like, but, but then when I found out what it stood for, I was like, OK, that's kind of dorky. <laughs> Secondly, is am I understanding correctly that the group that is the main threat in Fallout are rogues of rogues? 
No, the syndicate was established in Rogue Nation. They're a group of rogue agents or former agents who are causing terror. Again, the anti-IMF so that he has an institution he's battling against. And it's not just a like standalone series where he's fighting various bad guys. Now he's fighting a criminal enterprise. But the apostles are like a subset of the syndicate. Sure. So they're rogues of rogues. They're rogue yeah, rogues. Okay. They're rogue squared. <laughs> rogue squared. And John Lark was the leader of the Apostles or August Walker was the leader of the Apostles or both? When Henry Cavill's character, August Walker, is talking to the Solomon Lane character, he Benji. says, or, who he thinks is Solomon Lane, but it's actually Benji, Benji in a IMF mask. He says, when I wrote those words, dot, 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 meaning when I wrote the words that are attributed to John Lark. Okay. Who is John Lark? Nobody gets that. It was a who is John Galt reference. I was about to say, is that a Atlas Shrugged reference? (laughs) So we're talking about Christopher McQuarrie in not celebration, but in support of the writer strike that's currently going on. And he is first a writer or was at least recognized first for his writing and then became a director. It's really weird that Rogue Nation was his first Mission Impossible directed job. Massive movie, huge undertaking for a writer dude. And that is because if Tom Cruise pulls you in, nobody complains. Tom Cruise knows how to make money at least, and for the most part. And so he brought his writer collaborator friend on board to direct a massive movie, carrying over to Fallout, carrying over to Dead Reckoning 1 and 2. So he's the man from now on. He really is. And he, and this is um, obviously Christopher McQuarrie has source material when it comes to Mission Impossible. but And of course, the writing experience is a collaborative, cre- creative one. But really, it kind of comes down to Christopher McQuarrie and the page. Right. So he has a ton of control there and obviously has demonstrated mastery of that craft with his other films. We've already discussed Usual Suspects, for example. But I also wonder, like, I think that Tom Cruise requires a specific kind of director, right? Because we know that Tom Cruise is very creatively involved from a producerial perspective and just from a pure star standpoint. What I'm trying to say is I don't think that this is like a traditional director job, nor is this a director-driven project. I agree. I don't think that this is in service of we have to get this guy because his style is so noteworthy. I think this was pretty by the numbers, although that's a lot of numbers, for what they wanted to achieve. And Rogue Nation is the one that sort of started it, but Fallout definitely continues it, where Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie get together and they're like, okay, Tom, what crazy stuff do you want to do? And he's like, you know what I want to do always? An underwater sequence. Okay, let's do it. I want to hang from the side of the plane. Okay, let's do it. I want to climb on the Burj Khalifa. So he's always looking to one-up himself and Fallout definitely carries over in that tradition. He trained for a year to do that halo jump, the skydiving thing at the beginning. It's all... Yeah. And I actually watched Rogue Nation and the the parachute jump in that one is pathetic by comparison. It's like digital parachutes <laughs> opening over a building. And so really extensive. And uh, the car chases and stuff, that's mostly, if not all, Tom Cruise. On a motorcycle without a helmet. And in the BMW, doing the crazy, the maneuvers. Some of them were augmented, and I think they added some cars to when he's going around the uh, Arc de Triomphe in Paris. 
They, they get these major set pieces. What do you want to do? And they literally craft the story around it. I think the same applies to Christopher McQuarrie's direction, which is perfectly serviceable, but I wouldn't say that it's flashy in and of itself. It's very utilitarian set up for technically speaking for what they have to do or what they're attempting to do. Hopefully Tom Cruise won't die before he completes Dead Reckoning Part 2. Yeah, there's nothing calling attention to itself in the directing. At least visually. But as far as the writing is concerned, while it veers into convoluted territory, that's probably our fault or my fault. Because it is every bit as complicated with John Gauld, with the syndicate, with the sort of weird love triangle, with the backwards and forwards double agents and secret identities uh, it's just as complicated as anything in The Usual Suspects. And it's a balancing act that he's not only trying to do per film, but as part of a larger picture. And it requires our focus and dedication to make sure that we understand why they're running around and blowing stuff up in Dead Reckoning. I have to confess, I don't always track it. Sometimes I get lost in the set pieces, like when he was doing all the parkour and jumping from building rooftop to building rooftop i kind of forgot why he was doing that he's just chasing down henry cavill right but then i was like wouldn't it just be easier to like go downstairs and hail a cab <laughs> but he's got to run tom cruise got to run he, well he has and this I one mean, cost him his signature tom cruise run you mean the limp was real yeah and so we can all we can do all the like oh the intricacies of the plot blah 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 it's kind of boring because most people unless you just watched it like we did are probably going to forget some of the finer details which is most of the plot so i want to focus on fallout and how this changed the mission impossible game because this one was significant for a couple of reasons number one the limp was real because when he does that thing and he runs onto the platform and he jumps and like hits his chest on the side of the building and like hauls himself up totally yeah. shattered his ankle it's pretty <gasps> graphic you didn't know this this was a big thing it shut down production for like eight weeks at least no he did the jump why i have no idea did he have a safety harness absolutely did he have a line on him but he still jumped between buildings from a platform and did that awful land where it's just his elbows above the lip of the building and he Ugh. slams into it full force and you can see his ankle break it's not <gasps> the angle that they use but the jump they use is the right one and <sighs> when he climbs up onto the building and limps away it's on a fully broken ankle and then they no. stop right after that shot they stopped shut down for eight weeks everybody went away the doctor's like you're never going to run again and eight weeks <gasps> later he was running at full tilt what so this had like five different production delays or hiatuses for various reasons and and some of them were injuries it took so long to come back by that time rebecca ferguson was pregnant and by the end of pregnant by the end of filming supposedly she was like seven months pregnant and so they were like what did you guys do like during the shutdown when he was like waiting for his ankle to heal and she's like i went and made a baby <laughs> so this movie had lots of notoriety not the least of which for that the ankle scene but the crazy jump that which you know in the, the dvd features they talked about it ad nauseum they were doing like five jumps a day they had like a fraction of like twilight right and they yeah. had like three minutes of usable shooting time every day so they shot it multiple times and stuff he's crazy and honestly they kind of could have faked it i was about to say like all due to tom cruise and the stunts he is incredible but all the money that you spend on the insurance, all the delays, that's why you have stunt workers. There's a difference between stunt work and action. Like Tom Cruise can do all of his action all day, but like utilize the stunt people. I mean, I don't know. It all pays off in Top Gun Maverick, for example, where 
you feel how tangible and real these planes are and stuff. But is it really necessary to do a genuine, like authentic halo jump? I mean, it looks pretty cool. But while he's doing the halo jump, you're looking for the inconsistency. You're looking at like, okay, I heard that Tom Cruise really did this jump. How cool is that, right? And so you're watching, uh, you know, how does it translate to screen? The fact that he actually did it and that he jumped, the cameraman jumped out of the plane with a 20 pound camera with an IMAX lens on it. And then Tom Cruise had to jump out after him, pull up right to the camera in focus and then stop in midair so that we get a clear shot of his face. And honestly, it could have been done digitally because some of it was, it was digitally augmented anyway. But I wonder, you know, sure, was it worth it? Um, they made a big deal about the breath holding sequence in the last movie, which is the one that Kate Winslet supposedly broke the record for on Avatar. And the bathroom fight, which is a pretty cool set piece. That fight sequence is probably, what, 10 minutes in total if you include the surprise appearance of Ilsa Faust? It's pretty involved. And if that's not John Lark, who is the Lark decoy? Uh, I don't know. I mean, again, we can track it, but for a while it was supposed to be Hunt. And who is the decoy that Lark sent? This random dude who kicks everybody's butt, the Jet Li-style character. I don't want that to be I mean... racist or anything. <laughs> He's a, he's pretty badass. The John the the decoy. He beat up Ethan Hunt and Superman. Yeah, handily, and they they did everything that they could. But Henry Cavill, who's the buffest dude ever, and frankly was at the top of a list for James Bond at one point, is massive. And he said that bathroom fight kicked his ass. Like acting alongside Tom Cruise for action scenes was completely new to him. His workout regimen and his exercise program was designed to be cut and look good as Superman, but the stamina required for that fight scene because that thing was originally scheduled for four days and they ended up shooting that fight scene in that bathroom for four weeks. What? Every day, just getting their asses handed to them. And they said that all the way up until the end of production, they were going back into the bathroom to get little inserts and pickups for that fight. Wow. I mean, it is highly choreographed, very detailed. Liang Yang, this guy Liang Yang, is a badass and totally throws down. I mean, he's definitely known for his action movie appearances, but why does this guy not have his own movie? (laughs) Well, because he's the nameless guy, the nameless faceless guy. Remember when he ended up getting his face blowed off? In Fallout? They were going to mask it. They were going to imitate him with the mask. And he's (laughs) like, I need a face to do a mask. (laughs) Ilsa Faust blew his face off two feet above Tom Cruise's head. And he didn't get a spot of blood on him. And he's like, well, let's go. I'll be Lark. Yeah. No, Ethan Hunt just weaves in between the blood droplets. He's like Chuck Norris. There's so much blood on the floor. And then they faked it as a nosebleed. (laughs) Right. Exactly. That was real slick. They're yeah. such good actors. They're like, oh, that nosebleed. It's odd. And it's a weird setting. And, and they did do some cheats when they're throwing each other on the ground. There's no cheating throwing that dude or that dude's stunt double over Henry Cavill's shoulder and through the mirror to the other side. That looked really painful. But oh there are times when you can see Tom... Tom Cruise get kicked away and he lands kind of on his face in the corner and you can see that some of that hard tile is uh, actually white matting. Oh, I was just worried about all of the sink face slamming, all of the slamming of faces into sinks. (laughs) I was like, damn, that looks really hurts. Yep. One other note I want to make about the directing here is how Christopher McQuarrie's creative approach to this 
film and this franchise is somehow like it's so ridiculous and yet I'm not thinking about that when I'm watching it but why do you think Mission Impossible is kind of more realistic more real and less silly than for example a Marvel movie like do you get this sense that it just is it because they're not running around in costumes because it feels really real to me and it doesn't feel silly So while there are some practical stuff in Marvel, the Winter Soldier, for example, had great fight scenes and things, which Mission Impossible, that's really their strength, and motorcycles and cars. This one feels very real to me. Christopher McQuarrie in particular, like the greats, like Christopher Nolan and stuff, relies more on practical effects, wants to use green screen as little as humanly possible. So that really is, as we discussed, Tom Cruise jumping, driving, riding his motorcycle, getting really hurt and stuff. And that's why, to me, it feels feels more grounded. There aren't any cheats in Mission Impossible unless you count the gadgets. Um, You know, there is some weird windshield facial recognition and handprint technology stuff going on, but that's to kind of speed things up so we can get more action sequences. It's mostly cars and running and bullets. Yeah, that kind of stuff is more technologically, even if it's fake tech, it's more tech grounded than it is magical or fantastical. I mean, obviously, it's completely fantastical that Tom Cruise or Ethan Hunt even can grab onto the the skids of the helicopter and like and and hijack a a helicopter in midair. That being said, they do take time. They take valuable screen and runtime for him to fall off the skids down the rope onto the payload. Like there are moments of kind of quote unquote humanity that remind us that he's not a superhero. And I think that those are important. Yeah, because he actually has to do it. Right. Oh, he's you like mean you can see Tom him. Tom Cruise has to do it under the helicopter, trying to kick up to the skid, and it's not easy to do. It's a good thing that that helicopter was towing an ambiguous payload of pillows or mattresses or something. I'm not sure what the payload was or why the line was so long. So long. And also, <laughs> why didn't he use the long line of the payload to just mess up the rotors? Or... Right. Just drag it into the rotors. Right. He tries to like video game bomb him with the payload. A weird moment when he goes to do the thing and then misses. is kind of a long setup. Right. When he could have brought down the plane and also released the payload and not compromised his own copter. But thankfully, this wasn't just bad guys getting away. Jump in the closest vehicle. Bad guy has a helicopter. We're going to take a helicopter. It was compounded, I think, by multiple factors. Not only did he have to climb up that helicopter from the bottom, but he gets into the wrong one. And then he has to fly the helicopter. And they're like, wait, you're flying a helicopter? While they're under the constraints of the detonator countdown. At the same time, he's fighting Superman with an automatic machine gun, while at the same time, Luther and his wife or ex-wife are working on the other bomb, while the other team is fighting Lane and the countdown in the bl- They're all fighting the same countdown completely in the blind, not knowing if each of the three teams is going to be successful. And they all have to be within like 0.17 seconds of the detonation or everybody <laughs> dies. And it's all brought together by hype man extraordinaire Vin Rames, who's like, he's going to do it. What does he say? Yeah, he's he's going to do it. He's going to get it done or whatever. And for some reason, when he says it, I believe it. Yeah. He's just such a sweetheart because he's such a believer. Aww. It's like I feel like Vin Rames's Luther character is just the heart and soul. But Vin Rames, the only other person besides Tom Cruise who's been in every single movie. Oh, 
That's right. He, I remember him sweating it when Tom Cruise was uh, was doing the infamous um, clean room descent thing. Is it weird that Ving Rhames is like adorable and cute? He seems like the opposite of a character that you would fight to be to make adorable. I don't know. It's weird. It is. I mean, Ving Rhames has really become a teddy bear since his, you know, gimp in the basement <laughs> days. I just love, love how much he loves and believes in Ethan Hunt. I feel for this one because this is the regime change. This is promoting or at least allowing for the Faust Hunt love story by reintroducing Michelle Monaghan, who played Julia, his wife, who wasn't in Rogue Nation and was only briefly in Ghost Protocol. Tom Cruise, people always asked him, what about Julia, his wife that he was protecting by keeping her at arm's length, by keeping her distant? And he wrapped up the thing. Look, she's got a husband. Look, she's happy. And now he can bone Faust. Faust. Not only does she have a husband, but she's married to Wes Bentley. Yep. So if you had to do a stunt, and these are the three stunts that terrify me the most, would you do one, the halo jump, two, the Solomon Lane straight jacket in a truck sinking in the water, or the I'm going to take my seatbelt off and fall through my helicopter to the other helicopter that's already precariously wedged between this crevice? So here's the thing about tough guys. Just because Dirty Harry or Charles Bronson has a gun doesn't mean that you're tough, right? All you have to do is point and pull a trigger. If you're driving a car, yes, that takes skill. But really, you're just kind of sitting there. So the physical fighting stuff, I think, is what's most noteworthy because he's getting up there. He's not quite 60 in this movie, but he's there now. And he's still getting thrown around bathrooms and doing crazy stunts for four weeks at a time. That being the case, if I had to perform a stunt, uh, that seatbelt thing does not look fun. You couldn't pay me to do that water stunt. He was in a straight jacket and had to hold his breath. Absolutely not. I think as long as I get a little bit of practice and don't freak out, the halo jump requires some focus. But all I have to do is jump, float, and then pull the thing at the right time. I mean, pretty controlled, I guess, by all accounts. But And not to say that the other ones weren't performed safely. Yeah. But I have to say that the straight jacket in the car with the tidal wave that's about to hit me is definitely would definitely freak me out the most. It's, that's absolute bottom of the list. <laughs> the point is that Tom Cruise is able to do all the crazy stuff, but all the crazy stuff is not what looks maybe the best on screen. So when he does practical old school fighting style stuff that with a lot of choreography, he's really good at that. It's really good control. Yeah, he's just a monster of physical control as he demonstrated in the first Mission Impossible with the CIA hanging thing where he steals the knock list. I think there's a lot to be said about the smaller controlled moments, even tough guy with a gun moments, precision killer with the gun. He When he shoots down the three or four bad guys in front of the French police officer. Yeah, the cop, that the, to save the cop. Yeah, that's yeah. pure training from Collateral, right? Right, that is like Collateral callback and, and just really, really impressive firearm work. And maybe it's all in the edit and they make him look faster than he is. But the way that he moves his gun, the way that the shots are fired, it's either Tom Cruise or precision filmmaking or both. But it's it's still pretty impressive even when you're talking about that being in comparison of these massive, massive set pieces. So this one is a good revisit ahead of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 um, because the stories carry over and stuff. That said, I didn't remember what the story was. I mean, they're all MacGuffins. They're all, it's all plutonium or some vague weapon or a list of some kind. 
the first one was a knock list of the non-operative covers, the identities of all the IMF agents. The Rogue Nation was also a list of a similar type. Uh, and this one was plutonium. Sure, there was the rabbit's foot in part three. All good. Dead Reckoning? I don't know. There's like a super weapon or something, I understand. And the point is that you have fun with the intrigue. You can follow closely along and also see Tom Cruise run and fight stuff and drive. And it feels believable, I guess, to me, albeit a little bit sped up. And it's convenient, but the dude's really jumping out of windows and jumping across buildings and doing 360s backwards in BMWs and tight alleyways and stuff. And nothing but respect for Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie for, I think Christopher McQuarrie, the subject of our Christopher McQuarrie month, is in the fold because he's the dude who lets Tom Cruise do this stuff. And Tom Cruise is like, I need a reason to do that stuff. And Christopher McQuarrie is like, I can help you with that. Mm, Christopher McQuarrie provides the connective tissue and the realism that allows these fantastical stunts to be carried out and to basically be the spectacle background of one of Hollywood's last true movie stars. All right, we kind of gushed. What I'm saying is I think we were a little easy on Mission Impossible Fallout. But what point is there in getting hypercritical about this movie? Yeah, I don't know. Or the last one. Honestly, they kind of blended together for me. We're saving our real criticism of plot, of writing, of pacing, of editing, of stunts for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Coming soon on Or Whatever Movies. So your final reading for Mission Impossible Fallout from 2018 available on Paramount Plus is... Is it absolutely essential viewing? I guess it, it is essential viewing and thus a totally if you are a Mission Impossible fan and need to get it back kind of under your control before seeing Dead Reckoning. That said, it is by no means my favorite Mission Impossible. That title is held proudly by three, which people seem to like the least. That said, everybody's good in this movie. Nobody stands out as being horrible. The idea that Alec Baldwin could try to kick uh, Henry Cavill's ass that's kind of like when he got knifed, I was like, well, you kind of asked for that. But I like everyone involved. Definitely an all right and a fun movie. I'm glad I got to revisit it because it gives me context for what is undoubtedly going to be complicated and convoluted Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. I think I'll join you for an all right. And I'll, I will definitely look forward to eating popcorn while watching Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Part 1 in IMAX. And that's our discussion on Mission Impossible fallout we hope you enjoyed this discussion in addition to our other christopher mccrory discussions and that you will like us on social media at or whatever movies that you will support us on patreon with your by becoming a movie friend and we'd love to hear from you or whatever movies at gmail.com 818-835-0473 thank you for listening and we'll see you next time electric acid welcome to the candle power hour Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. 
Subscribe to the Nature Pack podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.